Well, as you know, we have been walking through in this Advent season looking at promises about the coming of Jesus and then examining how those promises are fulfilled in part in his first coming and will be fulfilled completely in his second coming. So the promise we'll look at this morning comes from Isaiah 53, and it's the promise of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoring of peace between two parties, specifically the restoring of peace between God and his people. I invite you to open up to Isaiah 53. We're going to read through verses 2 through 12. And I encourage you to to listen, listen as if you live 700 years before Jesus' first coming. This is where the the Israelites would have been at that point. Um, So verses 2 through 12 in Isaiah 53. He grew up before him. That is, he that is this, this servant of the Lord, this arm of the Lord. He grew up before the Lord like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. These are two pictures that are pointing back to Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 6 about a holy seed, this Messiah that would be a holy seed. And, and in chapter 11, this Messiah who would be a stump, grow up as a stump from, uh, or a shoot from Jesse's stump. So he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. That is to say, he he just looked like a normal man. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. This would have been shocking for the original hearers to hear this servant of the Lord, this Messiah maybe to be described in this way as someone who is going through suffering, someone who is despised. In verse 4 we read, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. This again would have been shocking. The the people would have pictured this Messiah who was going to have victory, going to conquer the the enemies out there, not, not be impacted by our sin. So the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This idea of substitutionary atonement would have been familiar to the Israelites because of the way the sacrificial system illustrated that and pointed to the need for that. But this still would have been perplexing for them to think about a substitutionary atonement in regards to something the Messiah was doing. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as as a sheep before its shears is silent, So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? 
for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So this suffering servant will die, but will be alive again. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. That means he will make us right with God. Reconciliation. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. That is, he reconciled his people with God. So so this picture, this picture of a suffering servant going through pain, uh, this, this did not fit the paradigm of the Jewish people. They were used to this, this picture of a God miraculously intervening and wiping out the enemy. Like when the Israelites are um, being chased by the Egyptian army and the Lord brings the waters of the Red Sea down and, and washes the army away. That was the kind of picture that that the Israelites were used to. They they were used to God working through a king like David who would wipe out all their enemies. And Isaiah 53 pictures the Messiah suffering. Isaiah 53 pictures us as God's enemies who need to be reconciled with him rather than picturing them, the the other enemies who need to be um, destroyed. It's, It's picturing us as God's enemies who need to be reconciled. The Old Testament hearers would have been absolutely perplexed by this picture of the coming servant of the Lord. And then, 700 years later, Jesus comes onto the scene and he says things like this in Mark 10, verse 45. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus was connecting his life and ministry to this Isaiah 53 picture of a servant of the Lord coming to rescue his people and suffer for his people. We read also in John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. What Jesus reveals glimpses of through his teaching, he revealed more obviously than through his death and resurrection. That the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, that was Jesus. That is Jesus. Jesus, the living God in the flesh. 
I want to look again at verse, a few verses. In, in verse 3, we read, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was oppressed and afflicted, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. Jesus suffered deep pain and sorrow and limits and inconveniences in countless ways. He suffered death and separation from God for our sake to reconcile us with our maker. There are two ways that I, I want us to engage with this passage for a few moments. First, to ponder sin and sorrow and pain. And then for us to consider the hope of reconciliation. So first, to, to ponder sin, sorrow, and pain. We all, we all work with, deal with, are impacted by our own sin, sorrow, and pain in addition to the sin, sorrow, and pain of others that is always getting around us and on us. I mean, we know, I think of the way that my sin, my, my pride, and my selfishness impacts those around me. I think of um, the way that those around me, their sin impacts me. I think of our community and the, the child abuse and neglect that I see, the alcoholism, the pornography, the violence, the one another, people slandering one another, and the list could go on, illnesses. I, we are impacted every day by weighty sin, sorrow, and pain. So I, wanna, um, I want you to imagine um, I, I want to put a picture to the, the weightiness of sin, sorrow, and pain. So I want you to imagine this, this bag of salt. This, uh, this is very heavy. And this, this is the weight of sin, sorrow, and pain that, that we all carry with us. We, we walk around in a given moment, we might try to pretend that it's not very heavy, but it's heavy. So we are walking around with sin, sorrow, and pain. And this is difficult. It is difficult to walk through life with sin, sorrow, and pain. And I know every single one of us have it that we are bearing every day. We feel it every moment. And this is, this is different than how God created us to be. In the garden, when Adam and Eve walked with the Lord, they weren't carrying this sin, sorrow, and pain. They were walking free with no burden. Can you even imagine what that would be like to walk with God in the garden with, with no burden of sin, sorrow, and pain? So they rebel against the Lord. And then for, for all of time since then, we have been walking with this sin and sorrow and pain. And here's the, the thing that um, we look at this sin, sorrow, and pain, and in a moment I get so focused on my own pain that, that I may come to the conclusion that, wow, you know, look at me, my, my pain is, is more than yours, but I'm doing a pretty good job bearing it. Or I might look at my pain and I say, my pain is more than yours. God, please just take this pain from me. I can't, I can't take it anymore. And then this is the beautiful thing that we read about in Isaiah 53, that we can take this sin, sorrow, and pain, and we serve a Lord who he, he bears it for us. Ah, 
it feels so good to get rid of that. And, and here's what we do, though. We, we give our sin, sorrow, and pain away. And what happens within moments? Within moments, we find ourselves, we are, we are rebelling against our maker again. Or we are impacted by more people's sin, sorrow, and pain. So we bring that to the Lord and we say, Lord, I, please take this from me. And he does. And what do we do? We walk over here. How many of these do I have to pick up? We, we deal with sin, sorrow, and pain because we sin again. And we continue to be um, impacted by the sin, sorrow, and pain of those around us. So we take this to the Lord. And we serve a Lord who takes this on. What if, what if, think with me for a moment, we think of this picture of a Messiah who takes on this sorrow and pain and how Jesus then fulfills that and what he did on the cross. And we can take it to him again and again and again. And what if, if we could be less, what if I, every time I noticed my own sin, sorrow, and pain, if my eyes were immediately drawn to my pain bearer, the one who bears my pain for me. We are sludging through life to carry our own sin, sorrow, and pain. What, what would we do if we had to bear two or three of these? If I tried to pick up three of them, you'd see me crumple before you. But we serve a Lord, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he bore like a billion of these. God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. For a moment, we need to take our eyes off our pain and suffering and look at all that was laid upon Jesus. Our Sin nature hardwires us to be self-focused, to think of, to look at our sin, pain, and suffering, and to think, oh, good for me for the way I'm handling it, or woe is me because I have to handle it. But Isaiah 53 invites us every moment of pain to look to our Messiah, not so we can conclude that, that my pain is so little compared to what he bore even though that's true, but so that we can remember he is our pain bearer. When Jesus took on flesh and walked on the earth, he, he was interacting and experiencing the sin, pain, and others, uh, sin, pain, and sorrow of others throughout that time. When Jesus went to the cross, all of that sin, sorrow, and pain was piled up upon him. When he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because that sin, sorrow, and pain had caused him to be separated from the heavenly father, separated from the perfect loving community that Jesus had experienced with the father from eternity past. And in that moment, this sin, sorrow, and pain from all of us heaped up on him caused him to cry out to the Lord, it crushed him. 
He is a pain bearer. There is hope and there's perspective in this reality. We'll get to the hope in a minute, but I want to say one more thing about this perspective of Jesus' suffering. When we read that Jesus was a man of many sorrows and familiar with pain, if we are to identify with Jesus and to follow Jesus, we should become men and women who are familiar with sorrow, who are familiar with pain. I don't want to sugarcoat the life of following Jesus, but when we follow Jesus, we continue to exist in a broken world with sin spilling all over us. And we will grow as we grow in our spiritual understanding of, of the, the inner pain that is wrapped up with sin in and all around us. We continue to walk in that as followers of Jesus. I invite you to think about this, though. Every moment that we are impacted by the brokenness of this world, we have the opportunity to relate more deeply with Jesus, on whom was laid the iniquity of us all. So I think about when I'm, when I'm going through um, pain and I, I'm, I'm feeling for the pain that, of the illness of someone close to me, um, I, I can experience, I can come to know the compassion of Jesus as I feel pain for a loved one. As I experience the pain of rejection, I can relate more deeply with Jesus as I come to understand at a deeper level the rejection he experienced on earth and the way he persevered in the midst of that. To follow Jesus is to know suffering and be familiar with pain. So now to the hope of reconciliation. Reconciliation, which is the restoring of peace between man and God. It's what Jesus provided through the cross for us and the living God. Verse 11 reminds us of this. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, will reconcile many in verse 5, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's what Jesus brought in his first coming and, and will complete in his second coming. The weight and the consequences for our rebellion, which we cannot bear, have been taken by Jesus. Isaiah 53 has, has two messages that I want you to hear. One is feel the brokenness, the brokenness of sin, sorrow, and pain. And number two, feel the grace of forgiveness. The deeper the first, the more significant, the more extravagant and life-changing the second. That is, the more deeply I feel the pain of sin, sorrow, and, and pain, the more deeply I feel that, the more life-changing and extravagant will be my experience of the grace of forgiveness. The grace 
of forgiveness brings complete reconciliation. Those who place faith in Jesus experience that in part now and in full once he comes again. Listen to these words from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God is dwelling God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. Can you even imagine it? The reconciliation made possible through Jesus in his first coming and made complete in his second coming, perfect and eternal peace in the loving presence of our living God. I want to share just one thought in conclusion and, and two questions to encourage you to think about. The thought is this. I believe that the depths of the pain and sorrow associated with identifying with Christ while living in a broken world are only surpassed by the heights of the greatness of his presence. Far surpassed. Know that you can experience that presence in part now through his Holy Spirit, through his word, and through, through community with his people. And you will experience that presence in full for eternity when he comes again. Amen. Amen. I, want, I want to invite you just in this last moment, just to take a moment of quiet and think about these two questions I'll put on the screen. Have a conversation with the Lord. And then the praise and worship team will come and lead us in a song of response.